Welcome to Barry Pirro's Haunted Happenings Podcast, where I share in-depth stories of the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. So turn off your lights, sit back, and prepare to be scared. Welcome to the Haunted Happenings Podcast. I'm Barry Pirro, and today I'm thrilled to have Richard D. Lewis as my guest. Richard is an author, journalist, and a veteran of the U.S. Air Force, where he began his career in broadcasting. He's the creator of the award-winning Pentagon Channel TV news magazine, Air Force Space Today, and he has won multiple Telly and Thomas Jefferson Awards for his work in television. In his first book, The Paranormal Christian, He explored the idea that the supernatural and Christianity don't have to be at odds with one another. In his new book, The Paranormal Christian Book Two, The Quickening, Richard expands his examination of paranormal phenomena through the lens of the Bible to include out-of-body experiences, reincarnation, spirit communication with loved ones, encounters with angels, ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, and extraterrestrial beings. Welcome, Richard. Oh, thank you, Barry. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And I just want to say, I love the book. I've been reading the book nonstop, and we have so much in common. For those who don't know, I'm a paranormal investigator, and I'm also a Christian, so we have a lot of things in common. And I come up against these same things as a paranormal investigator, people kind of questioning, well, how can you be a Christian if you're doing this kind (laughs) of work? And I don't have a problem with it. And obviously, you don't either. So I'd like to start with the perception that people seem to have that Christianity and the paranormal don't mix, but you obviously believe that this isn't the case. Tell me about that. Oh, no, I think they definitely correlate. And that's one of the things I've been trying to do with my book series, The Paranormal Christian, is to bridge that gap. It's interesting because I get issues from both camps. You know, I get the paranormal people are like, wait, who's this Christian guy? And the Christians are like, hey, who's this paranormal guy? (laughs) You know? Yeah. But the thing about it is, if you look at the faith, the Christian faith as revealed in the Bible, it's a very supernatural witness. And the faith is supernatural. Supernatural and paranormal, they mean the same thing. So I've just basically borrowed the common vernacular. Paranormal has become the new normal. It's very interesting to people. There's a lot of interest. But what I wanted to do was bring those camps together because what I found is you don't have to be afraid to explore these things or worry that something's wrong with you as a Christian if you're interested in these things because they're part of the witness of the Bible. And by contrast, for those who aren't members of the faith, we're we're not at odds. The things that you believe, what I found in in researching the Bible and, and the tremendous weight of the witness testimony over time is that it's all a part of our common experience not just in Christianity, but in cultures and faith belief systems across all the world and across all time. There are some passages in the Bible, though, that seem to forbid dabbling in the occult. In Deuteronomy, it says, there shall not be found among you any that useth divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. What would you say to those people who would quote this to you and say, well, it's right there and it says you're not supposed to dabble in this stuff? Well, you know, as a Christian, I do believe that everything that the Bible says is true, but you have to understand it in the context from which it's written. The Bible is not a book per se. It's a collection of books and volumes that encompass some 1,500 years where it was all collected. So you have to understand what style of literature that you're reading in that particular part of the Bible and also the perspective of the writers and the times and what they're trying to get across in their particular revelation. So the idea behind divination, witchcraft, prayer, and revelation, they're all very similar. When you set an intention through prayer, that's very similar to casting a spell, isn't it? What it really comes down to is your source. Where are you getting your information from? That's the problem that's there. And that's the warnings that are there because the Bible tells us that Satan can appear as an angel of light. So you have to be careful. But the Bible does tell us to test the spirits. That's in 1 John 4, 1 and 6. 
So how can we test the spirits if we're not interacting with them? So it becomes a sort of a nuanced thing to understand the meaning here. But you see that the practice of the ephod in the ancient Israelites, they divined God with the umim and the thumim. And you see the practice of casting lots. Even the apostles cast lots. And you see that whenever Judas fell and uh, they wanted to replace uh, so they could have 12 again, they did it prayerfully. They did cast lots, though, to see what the decision was from God. In the Proverbs, it talks about that. It says that people cast lots, but God decides how they fall. So that's not quite a black and white, clear-cut thing then, is it? A lot of times the people of faith, the people in the church, out of a preponderance of caution, they tend to just say no, just completely cut off these things. But then you're actually not following the word either because God does divine things to us. He does reveal things to us through our word, through personal revelation. You see this throughout the testimony of, of scripture. So it really comes down to when you talk about necromancy and witchcraft and things like that, they're talking about if you're trying to manipulate reality, bend it to your will for your own selfish purposes, especially when it comes to harming other people, that is where it gets into the dark forces. That's where it gets into what would be like black magic, things like that. But saying a prayer is casting an intention as well. All of it takes place through the sovereignty of God. So you have to understand the subtlety and, and the nuance there. So it's not as simple as a lot of people think on either side of the argument. Yeah, no, I agree. And also in the Bible, we read that both Joseph and Daniel interpreted dreams. So there are a lot oh, of right. instances in the Bible where the thing that they're saying don't do were done by bigwigs in the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> you know. And so the thing about the Bible is, and this is where a lot of people that are outside of the faith, they get discouraged because they don't understand. They see that the Bible is full of contradiction, but really it's not full of contradiction. You just have to properly understand it. There's tension in the Bible and it's there for a reason. I believe in the divine source, we call it God, Jesus, our savior, the source from which we all came. Set that tension up there for a reason. For example, in the Proverbs, it says, never answer a fool because you'll get caught up in their foolishness. But then a couple of verses later, it says, always answer a fool or they'll become wise in their own mind. I'm paraphrasing it there. But basically, so what does that mean? Well, which is it? Well, you see, it's both. It's contextual. It depends on the situation. Sometimes if you speak, the timing is wrong and you're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to get yourself killed even, you know, if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person. But then another time, somebody's misleading people, leading them astray, and then you have to speak up and correct their error. So it requires discernment. And this is all seen throughout the spiritual life. Discernment of spirits is a spiritual gift. This is clear in the New Testament. It talks about this. Again, I mentioned First John where it says, test the spirits. We are spiritual beings having an earthly experience, basically. And that's really what this is about. Yeah, that's really interesting. And to go back to something else you said, it depends on what your intention is. I read tarot cards. Right. And some people would say, oh, you shouldn't be reading tarot cards because that's in that list of things you shouldn't be doing. But I do it from a place of saying, well, God is the cause of all things. And I'm right. just reading these cards with God in mind. I'm saying prayers as I'm doing this, and I'm giving God the credit for putting the cards out so that I can interpret them to help someone. So it does depend on where you're coming from. You're exactly right. Well, you've got to understand that the creator of heaven and earth and the universe is sovereign. So a lot of times with, and I see this, especially with more evangelical Christians, and it's with good intent. I mean, they're trying to, in a worshipful way, they want to serve God. They want to avoid evil, but through a preponderance of caution, they may throw away some of the good things that come along. You know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What's one of the problems since the church split early on with the schism and the Eastern church and the Western church, and then the Protestant movement and all the denominations now, it's hard to show a unified front. But again, it's all, it's all the basic source. You mentioned before dreams. I mean, that's a great way that God can reveal things. In the Bible says, you know, that in the last days, your young men will have visions and your old men will dream dreams. So your people, men and women will have spiritual experiences. It's very natural. And since God is sovereign over the material universe, he can certainly reach us through any means that's available. And this is why you see commonalities across other cultures too, and across the world is because if you grow up in America, you'll probably have a lot more exposure to the church. But if you're somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa or in the East somewhere, you might not have the same experience, but God reveals himself. The Bible says that the heavens declare his handiwork. So we've always have this innate understanding of God. And you see this in the shamanic traditions, 
the Native American spiritual practices and through our own Christian faith, you see some common principles and some things where you just know that God is reaching out and speaking to us. How many times have you been thinking about something and a stranger comes up and says something, gives you a piece of information that you needed to push you to the next experience or to the next thing you needed to know? I mean, they're acting kind of like earth angels in those moments in time. So it's like there's this vast aggregate of a network of the cosmic, that which is outside, the unseen. You know, God exists outside of time and space. And if he created time and space, that means through his agency, beginning in, he said, uh, I am the alpha and the omega. So he sees your beginning and your end all at the same time. And that's why in things in the physical can all be affected. And all these things are happening. So yeah, you might hear something on the radio. When I'm writing, this is a kind of an unusual experience. The very words that I'm typing will be parroted by a person on television. Yeah. They'll be saying the exact same words. Some people would say it's coincidence. Of course, skeptics can't be convinced of anything. And that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. You know, this work is for people who are already curious and open-minded to these things in the first place. I'm not trying to prove anything. I really don't care what you believe. Your personal belief system is between you and God, as far as I'm concerned. The, the free exercise of religion, the right to believe or not to believe at all, is uh, one of the great tenets of our, our American freedom. That's the thing is people try to constrain God with dogmas, and you can't. God doesn't have to follow our rules of what we say that God is. God is way bigger than any of our dogmas. He can certainly reach us with whatever is available. If it's a newspaper, if it's a billboard, if it's another human being, if it's a spiritual agency, you mentioned tarot cards. I'm not saying every Christian should go out and, and buy a, a tarot card deck and, and start doing, doing readings or anything like that. But I'm just saying that the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. It talks about the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. So if I get an intuition, if I get a word of wisdom, I feel like it's a gift from God and I'm led to tell somebody something. It's my duty to do so. And there's nothing evil about it at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. And I always say, you know, when I talk to people about tarot or any form of divination, if you ask a question, you will get an answer. And if you're asking a question with God in mind, I am assuming that I'm getting the answer from God. The Native Americans would see things as signs with animals. And, you know, it depends on your belief system as you go along. But that's the way I look at it. If you ask a question, you'll get an answer. And if God is in your question and God is in your heart when you're asking that question, that's where that answer is coming from. Right. And see, this is why John told us to test the spirits and spiritual discernment is something that one should strive for. I believe it's a spiritual gift. The prayerful way you do it is just like the disciples when they cast lots and they prayed about it beforehand, they did it with God's intent. The thing is, I would say my caution would be, you don't always know if you do things prayerfully, you're going to get it from the highest source. That's the intention. Uh, at least that's what you hope for. But the darker forces, like the Bible says, the devil will appear as an angel of light. So that's where discernment comes in is where you need that. I would never replace any insight with my own. I would use my own logic, my own wisdom as well. I would advise people, don't blindly follow something that you hear. Like, you know, God can speak through anybody, through a psychic, through a mystic, or through your parent, through a friend, through a stranger. Take it, listen to it, hear what it says. How does it resonate with you? But, you know, I wouldn't make a life and death decision on a roll of the dice and say, well, <laughs> God, I'm praying. How about the good old magic eight ball? That one's fun. You know, when you're going through the grocery store and you pass by the toys. Hey, there's a magic eight ball. Hey, magic eight ball. Should I sell my house and move to Europe like I wanted to? Oh, no. Okay. I guess I got to stay here. All right. right. Magic eight ball has spoken. <laughs> See, that's, that would be, that would actually, I mean, that's kind of a joke, but that would be not divine divination. I want to talk about near-death experiences. I've interviewed a number of people who've had near-death experiences and all were really incredibly moving spiritual experiences for these people. What are your feelings about NDEs and where do you think people are going when they have these experiences? Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. My book, uh, The Paranormal Christian Book 2, I actually talk about near-death experiences in chapter four, and I get into that because I feel like that's something that informs our Christian understanding. And we, we've got a lot of evidence for this. The witness testimony of, of witnesses over time, since this has been studied clinically, is pretty overpoweringly in support of our faith as revealed in the Bible. There's a lot of theories in researchers that they say it's their own biases that inform what happens to them. You know, that may be true, but you definitely see some commonalities. I've also interviewed people that have had near-death experiences. Plus, I've studied the classic cases like Pam Reynolds 
and so forth. I talk about that in my book, The Paranormal Christian, book two. First of all, in the closer to earth experiences, people report things that like with Pam Reynolds, she had an operation on her brain where they basically had to kill her clinically in order to do this operation where she was not conscious. She was brain dead during the procedure. And yet she was able to see things, hear things that she shouldn't been able to hear. And this has been reported before. But then you said, where do people go? You know, the apostle Paul had what I would classify. This sounds to me like a near-death experience. When he describes being caught up to the third heaven, and he says in there, I don't know whether I was in the body or not, I do not know. But he describes seeing things and experiencing things that he wasn't allowed to speak. And this is something that the uh, OBE and the NDE researchers talk about. For example, Louis Monero, I interviewed him for my first book, The Paranormal Christian. And he talks about when you're outside of the body, especially when you go to other dimensions, like what Paul was talking about with the third heaven, you go to the heavenly dimensions the spiritual realm or realms, you experience things, but the hardware, this brain, this body, we don't have the hardware necessary to download that software. So when you return from that kind of experience, first of all, people a lot of times tend to start forgetting things pretty soon, and they really can't describe it very well because we just don't have the hardware to download that software. So because that's a new operating system that we don't have in this, yeah. in this physical body, you know, yeah, we don't we- have that iOS yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the Bible talks about streets of gold, pearly gates, crystal sea. I don't think that these are literal things like that's like, you know, you can chip off a piece of the street and be like, okay, that's a, that's 24 carat. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to exchange this so I can, uh, you know, knock down a couple at the bar after, you know, after my heavenly work is done for the day. I think it's more like they're seeing things that are celestial, that are cosmic things that they really can't describe. You know, there's this talk that for people that have gone to, uh, with experiences where they've traveled to supposedly travel to heaven and they hear angelic choirs, people that are near death have loved ones that come and greet them. I talk about that in my book, The Paranormal Christian Book Two. And I set it up with not just the near death experience, but I want to give an understanding of what this human experience is because And the more esoteric practices, the new age, they're very aware that we're having a spiritual experience. Some Christians take exception to that because they think that there are some people that like this, there was a teaching that arose very early in the church influenced by the Greek philosophies because many of the early believers were Greek that came into the church in the early days about the body being bad and things like that and different philosophies, the Greek philosophers. But the Bible teaches that we're spirit, soul, and body. And I talk about that in chapter two of book two. A lot of people don't understand this. Many people in the church don't understand the nuance of what the Bible is teaching there because the spirit is what animates the body and the union of spirit and body creates the soul, our consciousness, our mind, our experience while we're alive. When the spirit leaves the body, it's no longer a body. There's no longer a soul. The body becomes a corpse, but the spirit persists until we're reunited in a new body whether that's through the resurrection body which we're taught in the church which I totally believe in. Some people think you receive that body at death. I don't know. We'll find out, won't we? The people that are outside the body seem to still experience the form of a body, but I don't think that's the resurrection body that the church is talking about. And then there's reincarnation. You know, I have a whole chapter on reincarnation. I personally believe in reincarnation. It's definitely not a tenet of the church, although many of the early Christians did believe in it. I talk about reincarnation in my book. It's in chapter 11, The Argument for Reincarnation. This is a pretty extensive look at that particular topic. I don't see that it contradicts the Bible, and I'll lay out the evidence of why that is. What I'm trying to do is help people understand the nature of our existence, understanding spirit, soul, body, understanding the body. And then you start to get into the near-death experience as people are leaving the body. And then let's talk about what happens outside the body once you're on the other side. And that's where we get into the after-death communications, the experiences of ghosts and other things too, none of which contradicts the Bible as I've discovered. When I hear the valley of the shadow of death in the 23rd Psalm, I always think about the tunnel people say they go through in near-death experiences. And in Revelation, it talks about there's no need for sunlight or moonlight because there's this light there. You know, in all the interviews that I gave, people talk about this beautiful light that they saw. It didn't hurt their eyes, but it was all around them. There's all these little clues in the Bible that seem to point to that near-death experience as being valid with the Bible, with the study of the Bible. And you had mentioned reincarnation. I was really fascinated when in your book, you talked about how John the Baptist was thought to be the reincarnated Elijah, I think it was. 
There's that story in the Bible. Right. Well, it is. And that's a clear indicator right there. When Jesus said he is Elijah who was to come, he doesn't say he is like Elijah right? or he is the new Elijah. No, it says he is Elijah. It's like in the Eucharist, it's the body and blood of Christ. People don't understand that. It's a mystery because you can look and you can see that it's bread and wine. But he said, take and eat. This is my body. Take and eat. This is my blood. He didn't say this is a representation. This is like my body. This is like my blood. He said, it's my body and my blood. That means that somehow, and people don't understand this, but somehow it's a supernatural, it's a cosmic experience. Those elements don't literally change, like biochemically, they don't change, but you are receiving Christ. You're receiving Christ into your body. John was a different person than Elijah, okay, but he was Elijah. So that tells me that reincarnation is definitely a possibility. There's so much evidence. Past life memories is something that's very compelling, especially in children. There's so many children that have these past life memories and they go back and trace it and they find out, oh, this person lived here, this person lived there. I tell a story about a child that's exclusive to my book. It's a story from central Mexico. And this young child kept saying, I carried you. She was saying this to her grandma, I carried you. And for a while they thought it was funny. And finally they were like, no, hey, mija, you know, you're little, we carried you. He's like, no, I carried you when we lived in this village. And the child named the village that the grandma grew up in as a child that this child had no idea about. There was no way this child would have known this information. James Legner, the sole survivor, you know, this was a child of Christian parents who did not believe in reincarnation, but when their child kept drawing pictures of crashing airplanes and having these night terrors and started talking about the Natoma and everything else, and they started researching the uh, aircraft carrier. And this kid knows what a drop tank is on a model airplane. When he can barely say it, he says, WAP tank. It's not a bomb on me. It's a drop tank. Like what little kid knows? I didn't even know that. And I'm an Air Force veteran. You know, I didn't know what a drop tank was. And then they find the crew and the living veterans. And then he goes up to them and he knows them by name. I mean, come on, man. Like the Pat evangelical Christian answer a lot of times to this as well as demons must be a demon. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I believe in demons, but Satan wants to discourage us. After death communications, all families have these stories where their parents, especially with a, someone that's really close to them, like a, you know, God forbid, a deceased child or a beloved parent, and they appear to them in a dream. Oftentimes they don't say very much, if anything, but it's just an assurance there to say, hey, I want you to know I'm still around. I love you. Just want you to know I'm okay. I'm checking on you to see how you're doing. Just checking in with you. You know, the church doesn't say that we can't have these experiences and it never has. These are from God. This is not from Satan. Satan doesn't want to encourage us. Why would he want to encourage us? That's right. not what he does. So let's talk about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and that is ghosts, because I'm a paranormal okay. investigator. What are your thoughts about ghosts? Are they spirits who are stuck? Are they spirits who have chosen to remain here? Are there different types of ghosts? Okay. So first of all, whether ghosts exist or not is often a, a point of contention with people in the church. I know when I was a kid, I used to hear there's no such thing as ghosts. And I think that's something that they told us kids just so we wouldn't be scared. But then every culture, every faith group, all people across time, there's a belief in ghosts. There's an experience of ghosts and it's an ancient experience. So the weight of testimony is just overwhelming that something is going on, that there must be ghosts. And it's actually not contrary to the faith. Now, the Catholic Church, for example, they tend to see ghosts as the spirits that are in purgatory. That's kind of their thought of what ghosts are. Most of the other, certainly like the more fundamentalist Christian faiths, a lot of them don't recognize the existence of ghosts. Some Christians even think that they believe in soul sleep, which is an error that I talk about in my books. And I think it's clear. Jesus himself said that he quoted the Old Testament when he said, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead. So these are being, these are people that are living. You see that Elijah and Moses appeared to Jesus and spoke to him at the transfiguration. So they certainly were not asleep. Apostle Paul talked about going to the third heaven and experiencing things. You see the example of the rich man and Lazarus, both of whom were conscious during that example. The rich man was even speaking to Abraham during that so it's clear that after death, the spirit continues on. But then what are ghosts? The Bible actually gives us some tantalizing evidence that the belief in ghosts does not contradict the scripture at all. First of all, Jesus' disciples thought he was a ghost on two separate occasions. In Matthew 14 and 26, when he was walking on the sea, they thought he was a ghost. And in the scripture, it says, in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. So that's Matthew 14, 25 through 27. And so if there were no such thing as ghosts, Jesus could have debunked it right then and there because he wasn't shy in correcting his disciples when they were in error. He could have said, hey, guys, come on, guys. You know, it's got to be me. There's no such thing as ghosts. They said it's a ghost. And he said, don't be afraid. Now, even more to the point, once again, they thought he was a ghost when he appeared to him in the resurrection. And we see this in the Bible as well. And this comes to us from Luke chapter 24, 36 through 43. While they were still talking about this, Jesus appeared to them or stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. If that isn't a clear indicator in ghosts being a real thing, I don't know what to say. That's right out of the mouth of Jesus. He says a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I do. He doesn't say there's no such thing as ghosts. Instead, he almost defines what a ghost is. Exactly. Have you ever seen a ghost? Oh, yes, I have. I mean, I talk about this in my book, The Paranormal Christian Book Two, which is available on richarddlewisauthor.com. Again, that's richarddlewisauthor.com, The Paranormal Christian Book Two. And it's amazing when you see a ghost for the first time, because again, with the paranormal, most things that we think are paranormal or that seem paranormal are usually explainable. Wind blows, old houses creak, pipes make sounds and clack and clink and things like that. The moon casts shadows through trees when the wind is blowing at night and your imagination can run wild and you can see things that aren't there necessarily. So I never go out there expecting to see or experience something otherworldly. So when you actually see a ghost for the first time, it's very, very interesting. And (laughs) one of the examples I relate in my, actually in book one, which is very interesting is it happened to me in Big Lake, Minnesota. I was there visiting some family years ago and basically everybody had gone off to bed and I wasn't sleepy yet. So I went outside to have a cigar and there in my father-in-law's place, he had a very large tract of land and there was an old shack, which he had as a workhouse as well as a garage. This building was at least a few decades old, maybe older. And you look across this land and this, this part of Minnesota, Big Lake, Minnesota, it's very sparsely populated. It's, it's beautiful. There's the big lake that's there and there's lakes everywhere. And, you know, it's just a very mystical place. And at late at night, I'm out there, but I'm not expecting to actually experience anything. Certainly nothing that I see with my eyes. And I'm sitting there, I'm kind of leaning against this building and he has a light installed on the top. So there is like a pool of light shining down on me and the rest of the place is kind of bathed in darkness and there's a fence and I'm looking across a giant field. So I'm having my cigar, just relaxing. And suddenly I see this, it's hard to describe. It was kind of like, you know, uh, when you were a kid and like used to play with the bubbles and they had the giant bubble one and it would throw off that huge Mm -hmm. bubble and how it shimmered with the spectrum of colors from the rainbow as the light caught this translucent, wonderful globular thing until somebody went and popped it. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what this looked like. It was a form that was floating in the sky. It was kind of globular, and it had that, that shimmering nature with colors, and it just kind of floated past me there, <laughs> and then it went into that shack. It like went through the wall of the shack. So I went over to the shack, I put my ear next to the wall, and I heard a woman sobbing. Now, this really, really frightened me. So I, I'm, I'm jumped back and, you know, immediately, like I, I jumped into my old, like evangelical Christian, you know, foundation where I just began praying in the name of Jesus Christ, you know, oh, Lord God, you know, help this spirit and release her from her pain in Jesus name. Amen. Something like that. And then I put my ear back to the wall and the sound was gone and I didn't experience that spirit anymore. So, you know, what was this? I think that it was a human spirit that was perhaps here on the still on the earth plane. And that's where we were talking about ghosts just now and how the Bible pretty much gives a proof text for the existence of ghosts. And so then your question was, well, what are they? My research and I think the the weight of, of testimony over time is that these are What we normally consider and think of as a ghost is a human spirit that has not based over and crossed, uh, basically, basically crossed over to the heavenly realms. It's still on the earth plane. And so from the Christian standpoint, it's like, well, how can this be possible? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. 
And it talks about angels carrying, you know, Lazarus off to Abraham's bosom. And it talks about this and that. And, and yeah, I, I agree with all of those things, but it doesn't say exactly when that happens. And the one thing that God never imposes upon is our free will. And that's the amazing thing. And so our free will doesn't just go away just because we die, you know, just because this body stops working, we're still alive. Our spirit still exists. We're still conscious. So we can choose. And I believe that God allows some measure of providence as far as when we leave. My experience has been that most people, when they depart, do hang around for a little while, usually a matter of days, no more than a week, usually. And they say their goodbyes to their loved ones. And I've experienced this personally. Almost every family has these experiences. But then what if the spirit is confused? It was a a sudden death. It was a violent death. Or maybe the person doesn't quite have a set belief structure and maybe they're afraid. So we still have the free will to decide when we go. And so if you stay cut off from God, you stay cut off from our source of energy and love over time. That's where I believe you can have your angry ghost, your poltergeist, because a lot of ghosts are, let's face it, they're unhappy. And there's a a lot of other theories on what ghosts are. I get into that in in my book, The Paranormal Christian Book 2. There's energy signatures. And then there's also other entities that may not be human, especially if it's a more nefarious version, a severe, severe poltergeist cases, you know, stuff like in the fictionalized version, but what they talk about in in the Conjuring movie and uh, the Amityville horror, those kind of things, stories of possession, things like that. I would not consider those ghosts, even though sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between a ghost and a demonic spirit. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point there because there are people who think that all ghosts are demonic. I know the Warrens, the famous ghost hunters, Warrens, were both of the belief that ghosts are really demonic for the most part. That's true. Most uh, and most that's pretty much the fundamentalist Christian answer. I mean, it can be. Certainly, I believe that. But that's too much of a pat answer for me. And I don't like absolutes. You know, in, in the Star Wars stories, they say that only a dark Lord speaks in absolutes. You know, anytime somebody starts speaking in absolutes, saying like only and never and always, I get concerned. And the journalist in me, because that's my background, that's informed my research in the Paranormal Christian series, is I'm a journalist. So that raises the flag anytime somebody says first, only, exclusive, all those kind of things, because that's usually not the case. So There's a lot more nuance to the spiritual world, just like the physical world. I mean, you look at God, God loves diversity. I mean, you look around, the oceans are teeming with life from uh, where the, where sunlight can propagate to where there's, it's nothing but inky blackness. And these animals have bioluminescence that lights up the darkness and you see it in the, in the animal kingdom and even amongst humans. I mean, we're very diverse and there's beauty in that and the cosmos and everything else. So why wouldn't there be diversity in the spiritual world? Why does it all have to be one thing or the other? Especially when you see these things like the sobbing woman. I mean, what possible agenda could a dark spirit have in that? I mean, it did startle me, but it immediately turned me to God. So Satan doesn't want to turn me to God. He wants to turn me away from God. So I immediately turned to God. And when I prayed to God, this experience stopped. Yeah. So no, I I think it's a lot more complicated than just a simple, well, everything. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell a brief story that it, aligns with something you said in your book. I did a paranormal investigation. And one of the stories the person told was that there was a woman sitting on her couch and she looked down the hall to where there was an office and she saw an older man. And she said he was wearing a sweater and a white shirt and light colored pants and a belt. She could see him clearly. And he kept looking out the window as if he was waiting for someone. And he finally looked into the room that she was in and saw her and like jumped back like he was startled and he disappeared. And I always think of that story. I'm like, well, a ghost wouldn't be startled by a living person. I wonder Mm -hmm. if 40 years ago, a man was in his office looking out the window, waiting for someone. And he looked in his living room and saw a woman sitting on his couch and thought he saw a ghost. And and it was just a sort of a time slip. So I think that there are ghosts that are time slips or things like that. There are ghosts of people who chose, spirits who chose to stay here, as you said those who are stuck here because they, they're not aware they're dead. There's probably a lot of different variations on oh, yeah. why a, a ghost would exist. It's so true. And that's why I say you can't give a pat answer on these things. So there's that thought that uh, we're the ghosts uh, to, exactly, <laughs> to the ghosts. Yeah. yeah, you know? yeah. And, and your, your example of the man being startled is a great example of that. And you know, some ghosts are interactive and some are not. I mean, and I've experienced that. Years ago, when I was uh, staying in, in Laguna Beach, I was staying in an older motel, trying to save some money back then. 
and I came home one night and I came into the room and I forgot to lock the door and I heard a voice and I talk about the voice in my books in book one, I actually have a chapter, chapter 15 called the voice. It was the voice that saved me from an abduction when I was a child, um, not an alien abduction, by the way, it was a very human abduction when I was a little kid. And that voice called out to me and saved me literally, but there was the voice and it said, get up and lock the door. <laughs> so <laughs> I immediately obeyed. I've learned to obey God's voice when I hear it. And whatever that is, is the Holy Spirit, your guardian angel, Jesus. It's all through God in his agency. So anyway, it says, get up and lock the door. So I get up, I lock the door. And almost immediately when I locked the door, someone started jiggling the door handle and trying to get in. Wow. Now, you know, was it something spiritual or maybe just someone coming back from a uh, tying on one, you know, having one too many at the bar and they're at the wrong room. I mean, that could happen. Yeah. I don't know. All I know is I'm glad the door was locked because something or someone was trying to get in. They never said anything, but just the handle was, was jiggling. That was unsettling. So then when I got back into the bed, I laid down and immediately above my head, I started to see faces descending towards me and they were sneering. And that was unsettling because they were interacting with me. So they weren't just apparitions, like watching a movie screen or something. And they were sneering at me and that was creepy. And it was men and women and different people. And I've had other people theorize what that was. They saying that maybe it was the residue of the many occupants that have stayed in that building or in that room over the years. But I do know that when I turned to God and prayed about it, turned to my faith life, I was able to make that experience stop. And those beings went away and they stopped bothering me. So that's where the spiritual component comes in. But that doesn't necessarily mean that a spirit is a demon. I don't know. But I do find that if you're having trouble with poltergeists, especially severe cases, then I think many of them are demonic. And I've had, I've experienced that myself. I talk about that in, in, in the Paranormal Christian book too, which again is available on richarddlewisauthor.com. This was a very frightening case. The apartment that I lived in in Redondo Beach back then was near a graveyard. And that graveyard was built upon Indian, Indian burial ground. And so there are theories that perhaps these were unsettled spirits that were coming to trouble me, but it was wild. I mean, honestly, I hope some film producers will look at my book series, especially the Paranormal Christian book one, because I think it could make a good horror movie. Actually, the things that happened to me during this time, I mean, I would come home from work and turn on the lights and all of the drawers would be open. And I was living alone at the time. And that was very unsettling to see something like that. And I had an Archangel Michael candle and it would move from one side of the dresser to the other. It would have moved across the way. And sometimes I would find pennies dumped into my sink. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got home, I had a white lady apparition come to me one night. It was very strange. I was laying on the bed. And you know, you talked about having visions during dreams. Well, the Bible clearly says that God will speak to us in our dreams. But then also other uh, nefarious spirits are able to reach us more clearly in our dreams. That's why people have the incubus and succubus experience and some of these other things. A lot of people have the night terrors and they usually happen around 3 a.m. through between 3 and 4 a.m. is when these, the more nefarious kinds of things happen. But yeah, I was, uh, I was on my couch. I was dozing off between sleep and awake when the veil is thin. And I saw this lady. And the reason why I know it's a, I, you can't make these things up. You can't write fiction better than this because I wouldn't imagine it this way. I would write it differently. But this lady was in a long gown to, down to her ankles and she was wearing a bonnet. And I would have never thought to put a bonnet on her. And I had an old picture of my ancestors from when my dad was a little kid, dating back to about the 1950s, black and white picture hanging on the wall. And this lady was dusting the picture, like with a feather duster. And I was looking at her. And then the next thing I know is just like out of a horror movie, her head turned quickly to me and it just scared me. And I just jumped wow. back in my, in the couch. That was creepy. And then later on that night, I had a little Stewie doll, you know, Stewie from the yes, family guy. Yeah. He's got like a football shaped head. My youngest son and his girlfriend went to a, a fair and they got me one of these Stewie's little Stewie dolls because they know I love family guy. So I had it sitting on my coffee table in a cup along with a little dog that was Brian. So the next time I woke up, the Stewie doll was right in my face and hovering in air, waving from side to side. And the Stewie doll has like a cross look on its face anyway. So that was very creepy. And I know it was that same spirit. Other people that visited, they saw a mist going from bedroom to bedroom, different things like that. But when I really came more consistent with my faith practice, with going to church like you're supposed to, partaking of the sacraments, working on my prayer life, all those kind of things, and also hanging up blessed objects around the house. That's another thing that I noticed because when I because I was living alone and I was very living in a very Spartan environment. I only had like I had like one thing up on the wall. It was a giant kill bill 
poster. <laughs> now, I'm a big movie fan. I love action movies, but probably not the most holy thing to have up on your walls is a, is a giant kill bill with kiddo and a samurai <laughs> sword, you know, as much as I love it. But yeah, so I started hanging up, you know, pictures of Jesus and, and Mary and, and putting Bibles around and going to church regularly and those kind of things and all that stuff stopped. You know, the power in those objects, you know, I have a story to share too. I've done three demonic cases. All of them kind of came to me. And I think that I was put in the way to help these people, which is really what happened. In this one case, I won't go through all the details, but I wasn't able to go over there in person because I was actually going away for a few weeks. So I sent the woman a picture of Padre Pio, St. Padre Pio, that I had blessed with holy water. And I said, put this in your closet. And there was a whole story behind why it was in the closet. And I said, put this in your closet and I'm going to get back in touch with you when I get back and let me know, you know how things are. And I got back in touch with her and she said, when I put that in the closet, everything in the whole house stopped. She had been seeing a, yes. a man, lights were turning on and off. There was a, a roar like a lion, all this stuff that was going on. All of her daughter's clothing disappeared and were never found. They just disappeared overnight. They were in the closet. She woke up in the morning, everything was gone. But all that stuff stopped when I gave her that Padre Pio blessed picture to put on the wall. So, so you're right. Those things do matter. I want to move on to after-death communication, sort of related to ghosts and everything we're talking about here. Tell me what you think about after-death communication, people communicating with their loved ones. Well, again, there's a lot of people in the church that get really nervous when you start talking about this stuff, especially there's a certain groups in the fundamentalist beliefs that the fundamental, more fundamentalist evangelicals, some of them think that the soul sleeps until the Lord returns. And that's not what the Bible teaches, because we see too many examples of spirits of the dead communicating in the scriptures. Now, the Bible does warn against necromancy, but as we were speaking earlier, the reason why we have those types of things, and I'm not saying be a medium, I don't consider myself a medium, but I do get communications. That's why John said, test the spirits and you can't test them if you don't interact with them. But now as far as your question with after-death communications, I believe that God allows a measure of providence for our loved ones to reach back to us and communicate with us. It's happened to me. It's happened to so many people that I've interviewed. And I believe it's just a common experience. It's an experience that goes across cultures and time and religious and faith beliefs. So yes, I think that after death, the spirit wants to kind of say goodbye. And that's kind of what I've experienced personally and with other people that I've interviewed. So for a matter of time, a matter of, of days, usually no more than about a week, that's what we see is that a person kind of makes their final, says their final goodbyes, because then after a while, the, the communications slow down or stop, but still occasionally you might hear from them. Quite often it occurs in people's dreams. And once again, the Bible is clear that you'll have visions in your dreams. That's when you're more receptive to being open to the spirit communication. And that's when you'll see. And oftentimes they don't say very much. You know, they're not in their body anymore, I don't think. They left that behind here and they're in the spirit form right at that moment. They don't really have a mouth per se, physical mouth like they did to speak. And they're communicating with what we would call telepathy in this field, you know, but basically it's their mind, they're communicating that way. So they don't say much. And also I think, you know, it takes probably takes a lot of energy to manifest. And that's probably why they don't carry on like complete conversations usually, at least in my experience. If they speak, they say fewer words. Yeah, but yeah. they will they will speak and they let you know that they're okay and that they're still thinking about you and that they love you. And I've, I've experienced this numerous times and no one can tell me what this is. I'll talk about this in book two. I had an after-death communication with my mom. I've had several with her, but this one in particular will happen where I, I woke up and I had dreamed about her and I experienced her in my dream and felt her loving presence. And then uh, on the way to work that next morning, I got right behind someone in traffic and they had a license plate and it said MOM on it. It said mom, you know, and, uh, and when I was telling my wife this story the next day, I froze the television and I looked at the television and the image on the TV looked like it spelled out the word mom. And I put photos of that in my book, but more times than not, they don't say anything, but they bless you with their presence. And that's yeah. really what it's about. You know, it's them. I know what my mom's spirit feels like. No one can tell me. Exactly. And it's definitely, it's definitely nothing other than her. I know what being in her presence feels like because I know what it was like for when her spirit left me and everything changed. Even if you're not uh, physically together, when that spirit is gone, you know, my stepfather and me have always been close since I was a little kid, but we had to reestablish our relationship after my mom died. And I figured out what it was. Her spirit was always between us, even if it was just him and me alone. And we'd spent a lot of time alone, but it was different. 
something was missing after she died and we had to build a new relationship uh, until unfortunately he passed along too. But I had many, many spiritual experiences with both my mom and my stepdad, things that I talk about in my book, The Paranormal Christian, book two. Those are incredible stories. You have so many in that book. I was pouring over the book just when I thought you were going to go on to a new topic. You'd tell another story and I'd be sucked into that new story. Everyone should go out and get this book. I want to change direction and talk about something that seems to have nothing at all to do with Christianity or the paranormal, okay. and that's UFOs aliens and alien abductions. How does this type of phenomenon relate to Christianity or spiritualism? I know you talk about it in the book. First of all, I love the subject. I'm a lifelong enthusiast. Ever since I was a little kid, I've been fascinated by stories of UFOs and aliens. I remember watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind at the drive-in. I spilled popcorn on my stepdad's pants. I ruined his white pants with the butter on the popcorn. And so I was so sucked in and Thankfully, he was a forgiving man who absolved me quickly of my sins, and we just had a good time. And But yeah, I've always been fascinated by that. And you know, I always just assumed that it was what the mainstream ufologists think, which is extra biological entities, sentient beings like us, creatures on another world in nuts and bolts spacecraft. And I'm not saying that it can't be that. I certainly would like it to be that, but we don't really have any concrete proof that that's what's going on. But again, the UFO problem is something that's it's nuanced and it's subtle and it's complicated. It's like you can't say ghosts are just one thing. First of all, UFOs, or they like to call them UAPs now, I guess it doesn't have quite the stigma. Personally, I prefer UFOs. I, I love I love it. I just UFOs. I love to see you know, little green men in flying saucers. I just love it. But um, okay, UAP, UAPs, whatever. Actually, UFO is is can be more accurate or UAP can be more accurate depending on what's going on because, you know, a phenomena could be something very natural, you know, a planet, a meteor. I hate to say it because I know it's anathema for decades, but swamp gas, you know, <laughs> what if it's swamp exactly gas, right. you know, things like that. And that's what usually, usually it is. Now, if it's an actual object, it is unidentified. There's, there's no stigma with saying I saw an unidentified flying object because if it's not identified, you don't know what it is. It could be a jet aircraft. It could be a, a space rocket. It could be a missile. It could be a lot of different things. It could be a kite, you know? But when it comes to things that are flying around that are beyond our technology, well, what's that? Could it be aliens? It's possible, but we don't have any proof. And I think the majority of what people are seeing when they're experiencing things that are not a spiritual experience and they're seeing flying craft is they're likely seeing our own stuff, our own secret stuff. Ben Rich of Skunk Works famously said that the technology is 50 years ahead of everything that we know. There's something like a 90 plus billion dollar black budget. There's research that's going on, the things that we don't know about that we can't know about. Flying wings were already fielded and in the air at the time of Kenneth Arnold's sighting. And I think it's very possible that the craft that he saw skipping across like saucers didn't look like a saucer, but skip like saucers. That's where we get the term flying saucer. Could have very well been a flying wing. There were military installations nearby where he was. Mount Rainier, where later on there's been other sightings in that area since then. I mean, the military, you got to expect they're doing these kind of things. So even the Chicago O'Hare sighting recently, which was very famously reported, I put a picture of that in my book in book two, and it looks very much like a flying wing type thing. Now, I think that that's continued to develop. I believe that those things are there. Uh, but then there's also the spiritual aspect as well. And when it comes to the contactee experience, the abductee experience, that's what I think we're dealing with there. I think we're dealing with something that's interdimensional, something that's spiritual, and something that's often nefarious. One of the things that the researchers are finding that's not widely published because it doesn't match their paradigm, uh, most ufologists, which is calling on the name of Jesus causes abduction experiences to stop. So I think these beings are quite often beings that we've experienced for millennia. The sprites and the various things from the Middle Ages are now showing themselves as alien greys and things like that. I think that's what those things are. Because if they were biological like us, sentient like us, why would they need to honor the name of this mystical carpenter that lived some 2000 years ago in the Middle East? I mean, well, we know that's the son of God and maybe they would too. Certainly Pope Francis famously talked about baptizing aliens and that was in 2014 when he made headlines saying that because if they are there, you know, they are created by the same God. So, you know, my faith isn't shaken up either way. I just don't think there's really any proof that we've got the, the biological entities are out there. The universe is vast though. I mean, it's possible. God is definitely a God of diversity and I don't say that they're not out there, but I think most of the things that we experience here are either our own secret stuff or interdimensional type encounters. 
And of course, you know, in the Bible, we have Ezekiel's wheel and we have other instances where there were things that seemed to hint at UFOs even back then. Yeah, the chariots of Israel, the Bible, it talks about the chariots of Israel. Why are physical objects needed uh, in the spiritual realm? See, and this bothers a lot of Christians. And uh, well, and Eric Von Daniken, who's basically the founder of the modern ancient astronaut or ancient alien movement, he's a man of faith. He believes in God. And he says, my God doesn't need a spaceship. You know, who's to say, though? I listen to relevant radio like all day while I'm at work. And I heard one of the hosts of the, one of their shows talking about that, saying the same exact thing. Angels don't need spaceships. Demons don't need spaceships. Well, how do you know? How do you know what's the nature of that reality? I mean, when you dream, you're physical, you feel things, you hear things, you see things. But who's to say? Maybe they joyride. I mean, I don't know. Do we need to jump into Dodge Chargers with 700 horsepower? No, we don't need to, but it's fun. Maybe they're having some fun. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the way they show us just to you know, show us themselves in this way for well, some that's purpose. That's true. Yes, sir. I mean, uh, Barry, it's people conjure light ships. You don't conjure something that's mechanical. I mean, come on. If you meditate and something appears in the sky, that's not, I mean, come on, man. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I could talk literally all day about this subject. The book is The Paranormal Christian Book Two, The Quickening. Where can we pick this book up, Richard? So you can find my book at richarddlewisauthor.com. That's my website. Again, richarddlewisauthor.com. We have a lot of fun things there. There's a three-part Deliverance from Demons series that you can sign up for. Past podcasts are there. And also it's linked up to all my social media uh, activities, including some things that are even outside the paranormal. I'm also a film critic. And so uh, LA Film Reviews is linked up there. If you just like talking about good movies, I mean, uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is premiering this weekend. I'll be writing about that. I just posted reviews on Boba Fett and the Mandalorian and the new Wonder Woman movie that's coming out, um, all that good stuff, Doctor Strange. So, hey, if you're not into the paranormal, then uh, maybe you're into the sci-fi superhero stuff. You know, that's good stuff too. (laughs) Excellent. All right. Well, I will be sure to stop by and I really encourage everyone to buy the book, The Paranormal Christian Book Two, The Quickening. And thank you, Richard. Really appreciate you being here today. Oh, Barry, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it and appreciate the work that you're doing out there. And hey, keep up the good work. And I hope we can chat again soon. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow me and leave a comment. To contact me, use the email address listed in the program notes. I'm Barry Pirro, and this is Haunted Happenings. Thank you.